this is Tom Gray with This Stuff Matters. Welcome to This Stuff Matters, the podcast. I am setting up for you right now what will be the first of an incredible three-episode run for us featuring an interview I just had the privilege of doing with Ralph Stokes. Now, many of you may not know who Ralph Stokes is, but if you'll hang with me and listen to him, you'll be blown away by who he is, inspired by his life and his leadership and his lessons uh, Ralph currently is the Vice President of Diversity, Partnerships, and Community Relations for the PGA Superstore. But Ralph, at one point coming out of high school in Montgomery, Alabama, was the number one rated running back recruit in the Southeast. He's one of the first five African-American players to ever play for Bear Bryant at the University of Alabama. He is a husband uh, father of two daughters and grandfather of two granddaughters. And for our purposes, what I want you to know about Ralph is he is a revolutionary. We've said as we've tackled the last couple of episodes that we, w- we want to really motivate a revolution, inspire a revolution, a revolution of souls and society. Not only do I want to lay out for us principles upon which we can see the kind of change internally that we desperately need, but also principles upon which we can build uh, a change in our society at large. Well, I don't want to just give principles or, or dig into those beliefs and identify them. I think that obviously is helpful, but man, we want to find real world examples of people. So, so, you know, in episode one of this whole movement, we said things have to change. Episode two, we said things can change. We can change things. And so I, really I'm offering Ralph as uh, evidence uh, for the fact that we can change things because this is a man who has changed things from uh, the SEC football, from University of Alabama football to uh, the insurance industry that he went into as the first African-American uh, insurance sales rep in the, in the Southeast uh, to um, country clubs, the first African-American member of Atlanta Country Club. And just he wherever he goes, he has legitimately changed the environment he's been in for the better. So uh, hang on, uh, listen, download, please, share, please, and make a note. I'll come back at the end of the episode and just point you to where you can get tickets to our next This Stuff Matters Live luncheon that's going to feature Ralph. It's coming up on September 14th, but uh, as you drive today or wherever you are listening to this, enjoy this interview and, and soak up the lessons and the inspiration from Ralph Stokes. As I've had the privilege to know you, Ralph, and uh, you know, just in, in a friendship capacity, but also as somebody connected to your life and observing your life, and of course, a huge fan of your book and the lessons you are passing on out of your life, you're somebody I admire greatly as an influencer. You are a difference maker. You're, and to use the, maybe it's too strong a word, I don't know, but you, to me, from my, the way I think about it and look at it, you're a revolutionary. You are an agent of change. You change things and you, you know, I can't wait to uh, see God kind of in heaven kind of show you the impact you've made that you haven't been able to completely calculate or add up both on the individual lives you've impacted, but but on the broader society, uh, little micro societies from from industries and uh, organizations to country clubs and, and other um, other aspects of society, it, it's just amazing to me. And so I'm thankful for the opportunity to pick your brain and to have you speak to our audience that we don't want it to be an audience. We want it to be an army of, of difference makers. So let's just start where 
influence happened uh, in your life? I'd love to just ask you, who is the biggest influence or who have been some of the biggest influences on your life over the course of your journey? Well, yeah, again, thank you for, for the time. And, and I love being a part of this program because, as you said, this stuff really does matter. And, and making a difference in people's lives really matter. And, you know, we, we're blessed to be able to pour into some people. Uh, but, you know, we all need people to pour into us. We needed them in the, in the past. I was blessed to have uh, a, a great mother. You know, I, I was raised by a mother and a father. But my father spent most of his time being a provider. You know, he was working and he supported our athletics and he, uh, me and my brother and he would uh, come to the games and support us but the, the mentoring and the, the guidance came from my mother and she was a very strong lady you know one of the things that i spend a lot of my time doing now is working with volunteer groups and charity groups and i remember back you know, years ago that that was one of the things that my mother did. She would volunteer. She would, you know, be there with community activists and 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 helping feed the community and helping feed the, the underprivileged. And she 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 was doing that at and teaching us at an early age. She never preached to us that that we needed we had to do it, but we saw from an example in her life. Of, of doing the giving back and supporting those that couldn't do. And, and so uh, I was blessed to have a mother that lived by you know, a certain set of uh, true values of sharing. And then like most athletes, I was blessed to have some really good co coaches that poured into me, but they also challenged me. And, and you know, the, the blessing of having coaches who, you know, for me at times in, in certain parts of my career, uh, I, I was considered a very gifted athlete that could do a lot of things. But with gifts, sometimes you realize that I, I can get this done without a lot of work. And so I can just show up. And yeah. I, I was fortunate to have coaches that wouldn't allow me to do that. They wouldn't allow me to not drive hard and push hard and work and it taught me early that you know work pays off and you need to be willing to uh to challenge yourself to get better every day and as uh kobe bryant talked about and some others you know practice wasn't just to go out and go through the motions and i saw Deion sanders in a speech recently talk about you know, what was your purpose for practice? If you didn't have a purpose, you really wasn't, you know, getting better and understanding what practice is about. It's not just out there going through the motion, it's trying to get better. And I was fortunate to have coaches that forced me to challenge myself to get better and work in practice every day and not depend on just gifts. So sometimes in life, you know, at the moment, you're not thrilled when they challenge you, but as, as you work through it and you, and you have that rear view mirror effect, you're so blessed that you had people that would care, that cared enough about you 
to challenge you to get the best out of you. So, you know, whether that was a middle school coach, a high school coach, and a college coach, I was blessed to have them at every level that uh, took personal interest in me and, and, and fed to me, you know, values that were things that I, I could take away with me and then in uh, later life share those values. Mm. That's huge. You know, I, Ralph, in, in that kind of the subtitle of your book, it's one of the first, but then it's lessons I learned while overcoming the challenges of integration. Um, yeah, and the book is full. We could do two episodes on every chapter, every section of every chapter. It's got that much application and interest, but I'd love, I mean, pick one or two. I mean, it's probably impossible to, pick the biggest or, or whatever, but what are one or two of the most impactful and significant lessons, you know, that have uh, enabled you to, to thrive in life? Uh, one or two that if, you know, you're passing on to your granddaughters or to the next generation, man, you got to get this one. You got to know this lesson. Well, you know, yeah, it, most people would like to hear the story about, you know, being recruited by Coach Paul Bear Bryant in my early days. And, and that one takes a while to get to because, you know, the, the basic background of that story was I, I grew up in an all-Black environment, all-Black high school, high school, middle school, playing football. And my biggest dream in life, which, you know, in retrospect was a very small dream, but my biggest dream in, high, in life was to grow up and play for my uh Black high school that it was an iconic high school in Montgomery and in, in the state of Alabama. Uh, Booker T. Washington. Yeah, Booker T. Washington yep. High School yep. in Montgomery, Alabama, which yep. had a strong winning tradition and had won championships in the Black uh, conferences in the Black school system. And I really wanted to grow up and really be uh, make that team. That was my biggest dream in life. It wasn't going to college beyond that. It wasn't playing pro ball. It was just, I want to be a part of that great team at Booker T. Washington, where I saw so many great athletes play as I grew up. And uh, so that that was the big deal for me. And as, as we, you know, started to play, I was fortunate. It was a very good player in middle school, won championships, was voted to an outstanding player in middle school. Got to high school, was challenged by the veteran players that, you know, I wasn't going to be good enough to make the team and all those things. And I was fortunate to make the team in, in my opening game, uh, my first year. I was fortunate that the team got a little behind and they, they were forced to put me in and I scored two touchdowns in the game and really had an outstanding first game that really, you know, boosted my high school career from there. But as we we left there, going into from my junior year, we competed very well and made the state playoffs when they had first integrated the school systems where all black and white schools would now not play separate, but play in an integrated championship to determine the, the one state championship. And we made it as a black school into that championship. We won our first game. And then we had to play an all-white school. It was called Berry High School later, uh, changed the name to Hoover High School in Birmingham, really strong program. And we competed with them for a little while, and then they, they ended up dominating us in the game. But it allowed us to know that we could compete 
very well with this white school. But the beauty of it was that most of the players on our team were, that really was contributing a lot were juniors. And we had a strong set of people coming back on this team. And we knew we had a chance to be the first all black school to win a state championship in the state of Alabama at the highest level with, in, in a graded system. And we were so excited. And as, as you probably heard you know, me say, when my, going into the spring of my junior year, we were going to our spring practice and we were told uh, everybody wants to join the football team, come out to the gym on Friday afternoon at three o'clock and we'll, we'll have a session. And so we all knew who was going to be on this team because most of us juniors, we were just competed well. And so, you know, why do we have to go to a practice and, and, and register for the team? But we all went to the gym that Friday afternoon. And as I've said to many people, when we walked into that gym that Friday afternoon, there was three white men in suits. And, and in an all-black school, white men in suits was never a good thing. It just <laughs> wasn't a good omen for us. So that was the day uh, the, the, the superintendent of the schools for the, for the Montgomery, Alabama area and, and the state of Alabama came in and said, good news and bad news. The bad news is your school, Booker T. Washington, is closing at the end of the, the school year and is going away forever. And the good news is that you guys get to try out for the football team. You all indicated you want to play football next year. You get to try out at your new school starting Monday. And this is you know, three days from now, you go to your new school and try out. And but by the way, you're not all going to the same school. You're going to go to four different schools. And for about 10 to 12 of us, we were assigned to Robert E. Lee High School. And so we're going from Booker T. Washington to Robert E. Lee, which seems just got ironic in the change. I didn't know where the school was, but I had to go find that school. And so with that, we we ventured over 10 to 12 of us ventured over on Monday afternoon to find Robert E. Lee. They called us nasty names they, as we passed through the community saying, you know, we don't need you here, calling us the N-word. We don't need you over here. Go back to where you belong. All those fun things that, you know, you know, as a 17, 18 year old, you just, you know, not thrilled to hear and, and a little intimidated. But we made our way to Robert E. Lee. We learned to uh, to fight hard to be a team that spring. And you know the, the, the interesting part of that first day was there was about 12 black kids sitting in bleachers uh, at Robert E. Lee. And then in the second and third section of those bleachers, there was nobody. And then in the fourth section, there was about 60 white players on the other side. And the coach said to us later, that we knew we had no chance to build a team until we you know, filled out those two sections in the middle, until we brought everybody together. And so we learned to fight through the challenges of that spring. Uh, later, we uh, came back for our fall practice in August and we still wasn't a team, couldn't get together as a team, because there were so many you know, predetermined thoughts coming in. At the black school, they had told us that 
you know, the schools don't want to integrate because uh, the black players are such better athletes. If we ever play those white guys, we beat them because we're better athletes and they are and they, they're afraid of us. At the white school, they had told the white players that they want, don't want to integrate because you know we're so much smarter than the black players. The black players can't comprehend all these complicated systems. We would just run all the fancy defenses and schemes and they wouldn't understand it. We would just beat them so bad. So the white players came with their, their prejudice of black players not being very smart. Black players came with their prejudice of white players not being very athletic and good players. And, and we're trying to build a team with those thoughts and you just couldn't do it. And one of the things that they finally did as a coaching staff was put us out there in the heat of August and we did our regular hour and a half practice or two hour practice. And then they said, we will start practice now after two hours. And we had a scrimmage with our first team defense against our first team offense. And it went for 30 minutes that everybody was just wore out, tired, couldn't compete. You know, you were drained, there were people dehydrated, but the coaches push you to your end. And one of the things that happened that day, I remember them coming in the huddle and saying, if you guys could score one more time, you can get off the field. And I was so tired, I could not raise my head. And we had two large offensive linemen, a white lineman looked at me and said, Ralph, if you will run behind me, I will make the blocks. And, and I was so tired, I said, but guys, if you just stand in front of them, I'll get by them. You don't even have to block them. I can get by them. And we, we, we were successful in doing that. On the same side, the defense guys were being told, if you stop them one more time, you can get off the field. In the story is that that afternoon after that really challenging practice, we were walking home, several of the black players together. And I remember one of my uh, teammates, a guy named George Pugh, that I played with for years and he later played at Alabama. George said, you know, we may not like these guys, but we have a lot, a lot of respect for them because they were willing to do their job even in the heat of uh, this August heat, even when they were tired. And I said the same thing on that offensive line. When those two guys looked at me and said, I'm dog tired, I can't breathe, but I'm willing to do my job. Yeah. That in itself made me, gave me respect for those gentlemen and what they were willing to do. And that was the day we built ourselves together as a team. Because what I learned in the takeaway, Tom, that I would share with the audience is that as you, you build teams, whether it's work teams, uh, sports teams, or whatever type teams, in order to really build a team, it starts with respect. And the day we built respect for each other was uh, the day that we learned to like each other. And as we learned to like each other, we eventually learned to love each other. We built a team that became a state champion. We won the state champion for the first integrated team there. I was one of the, the captains of the team that year and voted an All-American and top running back in the Southeast. But more importantly, when you're building them, it's hard to 
to, to like people that you don't respect. It's a, equally difficult to love people that you have no respect for. And so at the core of building a team, you start with respect. And when you can respect the person, you have ability to be open to, to really like them. And, 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 as you, and one interesting byline of that, my good friend that I played with and against since the third grade, Mike Washington, one of the black players that came over, passed away uh, last year in, in 2021. And at his homegoing service, we had a big event the night before. And Mike had, uh, after playing college ball at Alabama and playing for uh, Tampa Bay for 10 years, he became an SEC official as well uh, and officiated the uh, football games. At his service that night before uh, that event we had, there were a lot of SEC officials both black and white that came there. There was a lot of Alabama players that came to honor Mike, black and white. But more importantly, there were a lot of Robert E. Lee high school football players there, black and white, that was there to honor Mike because that team not only bonded together, but we learned to like each other after mm -hmm. building that respect. And we learned to love each other and we stayed as friends and I still have friends from that team now. The basis of successful teams start with the fact that I got to respect that you have the values that I have. All right. I told you that you were going to love learning from and being inspired by Ralph Stokes. So we've got two more episodes uh, that we're pulling out of my interview with Ralph. They will come up on September 6th and September 13th. So make sure you subscribe, follow wherever you, your, your podcasts to This Stuff Matters, the podcast with Tom Gray. And please download the episodes. That's that metric in the wild, wild west of podcasting that, that uh, those who might uh, then choose to, to advertise and help us, in essence, uh, fund the movement uh, as we spread the word, um, they, they go off of how many times each episode is downloaded so i know you can stream it but download it if you if you if you want to and go to the show notes for today's episode and s click on the link of where you can buy your ticket to our next this stuff matters live lunch it will feature ralph stokes um coming up on september 14th at magiano's little italy in cumberland mall here in atlanta Additionally, in the show notes today, find our phone number where you can call me, leave me a voice message, or text me. And I'd love to collect from you this week any questions you might have for Ralph, and we'll use those during our live lunch event coming up September 14th. All right. Thanks so much. Until next time, this is Tom Gray, and this stuff matters. <laughs>